I'd be the first to acknowledge and want to see gifted people go into medicine or to law or to education or to business uh, or to the sciences, right? But we're not probably articulating in strong, positive ways what it means to serve the life of the church as a minister and honor that as a calling, as a way of being, a way of living in the world. One of the things I want to encourage ministers of all stripes to do, elders and congregations to do, is to call kids out, to call young people out and say, hey, consider this and uh, plant that seed of possibility. Go to the university and learn how to be a minister. Probe that, try it out, do an internship, explore, and let our young men and often women are finding their ways into all kinds of mission work and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Encourage them to think about giving their life or taking up the calling or vocation of the practice of ministry in some way. That's where it really starts, I think, not, not in the university, but actually in homes and in churches. Dr. Carson Reed, thank you so much, sir, for joining us on Faith in the Fold. It is a pleasure to have you with us this afternoon. It's great to be with you, Kevin. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. So uh, back in May, I believe, you wrote an article for the uh, Cybert Institute's blog that we will get to in just a moment. But the fact that you work with Cybert Institute is, um, is a point of interest that I'd like to ask you about before we dig into the rest of what we're going to talk about. What exactly does Cyber Institute do? How long have you been working with them? And what capacities do y'all work with churches and things like that? Help us understand a little bit about what you do in your area of expertise. Sure, the Cyber Institute. Uh, the Institute's now a decade old. It began at the death of Charles Seibert, who was a noted professor here in the Graduate School of Theology. Uh, and Charlie was sort of known as the church doctor. He spent every weekend out with some church someplace. Mm -hmm. And the, the university wanted to institutionalize that commitment to congregations. And so the institute was formed under the direction of Dr. Royce Money, a past president of the university. And within a year or so of my coming to be a professor of practical theology, I got tagged to be uh, the director. And so we've begun kind of basically piecemeal pulling things together that the university does to the day to today where we have a rather wide array of programs and services that we offer for churches, for ministers and congregations uh, that speak into church leadership and to church health, minister transition. Uh, I suppose we're probably helping about 100 churches at any given moment with a search for a minister. Mine included in that uh, And yours included. Yeah. That's right. Um, and uh, some of that means also consulting and on-site work. Um, just a wide array of, of uh, programs and services. You'll find it all at cyberinstitute.org. Yeah. It's unique in Churches of Christ uh, to have such an institute embedded in a university. Uh, this our, The institute sets within the College of Biblical Studies here. And so mm -hmm. we have lots of resources we can pull from, from that yeah. to help churches. 
My doctoral work was at Asbury Theological Seminary, which yeah. I uh, I made the mistake when I was interviewing. Thankfully, this didn't take my interview to get into the program, but I made the mistake of calling it a a Methodist school. The professor oh. I was interviewing with very kindly corrected me and said, "No, no, no, we're not Methodist. We're Wesleyan." <laughs> I was still green enough, didn't really understand the difference there. I learned uh, over the last uh, next several years what that was, but it's fascinating seeing a lot of my friends there who did come from Wesleyan traditions, particularly a, 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 a system like the United Methodist Church, and uh, you know, and this was before you know the, the issues that they're currently facing now with the Global Methodist Church and all that. But it was fascinating hearing some of them talk about the the supra congregational structures that existed yeah. for uh helping ministers and churches and things along those lines with a congregationalist system like churches of christ where the highest authority other than the lord himself right <laughs> the highest authority under the lord himself is the local body of elders cybert serves a, a really fascinating uh, role in providing a lot of things, uh, a lot of these kinds of services that otherwise, you know, a denominational structure might provide. Right. We sort of serve as a denominational headquarters for a denomination that's not a denomination. <laughs> and, and and I'll have some people who will who will start to bristle a little bit when they hear you call us a denomination that's not a denomination. It's like, well, you know, depending on how you want to use that term, you could use it well, non-technically, little d, and it'll be all little right. Little d, yeah, little d. We are this community, right? Mm -hmm. We're this community of churches, and um, and I'm a full, full-out believer in congregational uh, autonomy and congregational structure. Uh, I, I believe in it, but there's also needs that th those congregations have, and yeah. Uh, ACU and the cyberness who've been uh, attending to those kinds of things for a long, long time. And we're just really tickled that we had a chance to do that kind of work with churches. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the things that uh, first introduced me to the Cyber Institute was the uh, minister salary survey Yeah, that, uh, right. that y'all do, um, which is a fascinating piece. Anybody interested can just Google uh, Cybert Institute, Cybert spelled S-I-B-U-R-T, Cybert Institute Minister Salary Survey, and that goes around annually. Um, I am, uh, I might start over-reporting my salary just so I can see, well, look, yeah. these guys, you know, they make a... Bump, bump that up a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's just one of those services. We have skilled researchers do that work, so uh, it's far above my pay grade in terms of the technical work they do to produce that report every year but it's yeah. it's really a, a useful tool and, yeah. and incredibly well done too and we we appreciate y'all's uh, y'all's work with that yeah. Carson let me ask uh, I mentioned earlier at the uh, top of the podcast here that in May you wrote a blog post for the mosaic blog the blog of the cyber Institute and you described the churches uh, facing a crisis these right. days what is that crisis well we could name a number of things that might be crisis mm -hmm. uh, uh, but you've asked me about a particular thing that i wrote about in that piece so mm -hmm. i will name name that and that that simply is that we have a minister shortage uh, uh, churches looking for ministers are often finding themselves with pretty thin uh pools of persons to to pick from when it comes to finding a preaching minister or a staff minister. Uh, 
I just had someone call me last week from a actually a fairly large West Texas town uh, and a fairly large church asking about a particular staff person. And, you know, as many people as we've got in our lists and our databases, I just don't really have anybody that's going to fit this. You know, there's no one that I have on our list that's that really is a good match for uh, that search. Yeah. And uh, that search has been or that crisis has been a, a mounting, but it, we're feeling it deeply right now as we come through the past two years of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, what what has led to this? And have we seen anything like this before, or is this a, a relatively unique situation? Well, I think, I don't know if it's unique. It's, it's we've not seen this, uh, we've not seen this in recent history. I don't mm-hmm. know put it that way. I, um, I think the pandemic has exacerbated something that's been in the works for some time uh, in terms of the decline of churches and the stresses and strains that accompany the practice of minister, ministry or ministerial leadership. Uh, so folks like you, Kevin, uh, who are in churches week in, week out, right? Who That's, that's where you inhabit. Uh, it's a particularly it can be a very challenging kind of environment to be in. And that's that's exacerbated something that's created the shortage that I think we're facing now. But I think it's been, there are other factors, larger factors that are at work that uh, maybe have contributed to this decline in the number of persons available for ministry. Yeah. Yeah, I know the pandemic was uh, was was brutal for so many reasons. When you look at the practical aspects of congregational ministry, I I don't remember hearing in any of my classes about congregational ministry or my practicums or anything along those lines. When I was getting my MDiv, that you know, here's here's how you do church when you cannot meet. Right. <laughs> it's like that was just not something that was on anybody's radar. That's right. And suddenly it seemed like ministers all over the country had to become TV producers overnight, that if they wanted to have anything of substance to offer their their folks, um, you know, small churches like the one that I worked with in Kentucky, when I was uh, you know, in the early stages of 2020, in the first half of 2020, we would you know, either pre-record sermons and Bible classes and you know, or when we were finally meeting in person, we would have we would have a guy's cell phone perched up on a pew on Facebook Live, pointed to the podium, and just hope that we could get halfway decent audio and video right. to to manage with that. But you're right, we just we just didn't see, and we didn't foresee that coming. You mentioned some other strains and stressors as well, or some other things that maybe contributed to the shortage besides the pandemic may i ask what are what are a few of those things that that led to this well yeah and just to back up just a little with that to say that's that's stress inducing right for ministers right you suddenly we've got to figure out how to um, help put together a service that we can broadcast or live stream mm-hmm. which which are two different things uh, yep. right and two different approaches and we had to figure all that out, and uh, that's a very stressful kind of, of environment to to be in. Although it, 
it's not God's first hand pandemic. So God's <laughs> large and in charge, but for many of us, it was yeah. our first pandemic, right? right? Yeah. We were, uh, many of us, so many of us had to really, you know, it was a difficult, difficult thing. <laughs> uh, other things that, other factors that are in play in that, I think, uh, as I noted in, in the blog piece, is that, um, well, let's see, there's several. I'm trying to think which one to begin with. Yeah. One, I think, is that just simply the fact that ministers uh, have lots of bosses can be a challenge. Uh, uh, in a church of any size, much size, of course, there's an elder a elder group, right? Mm -hmm. But in some ways, everybody becomes the boss for the minister in some, at some level, right? Uh, some sister calls up and says, hey, what about this? Or some brother says, I didn't like your sermon last week. Mm -hmm. Or uh, and why why don't you do this? And then mm -hmm. uh, you've been in. I've served as a preaching minister for thirty years. I can count on a number of times when I'd had very different reactions to this very same sermon. Right, like that was the best sermon ever. And then three people later, uh, or or you get the next day, it comes this email saying, "What do you mean by saying what you said in that sermon?" <laughs> and and that that's sort of jarring, right? Yeah. For, for a minister to have to navigate that. And to some level, that sort of goes with the territory, but that is a factor of sort of the cross pressures that are on a minister and kind of this public role that I think uh, become a, a challenge. Can I pause you just for a second there? Because sure. I, I, I don't want that point to be missed by folks who are kind enough to listen who are not in congregational ministry or have not found themselves in congregational ministry settings before, um, you know, serving on staff, for example. Um, I, I don't think it is an exaggeration to say that at some point it is very often that, or at, at some point someone will see themselves as your boss and imagine in your work environment where you had you know, everybody who comes in sees himself as your boss, but not just the fact that you know they're either paying customer or something along those lines, but that that you have a Christian duty to listen respond. and to yeah. respond in a way that's favorable to them, regardless how, of how outlandish the, uh, the request might be, not to whine and complain. That is just the reality that a lot of folks face. And mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to re reiterate that for just a moment that 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 does happen yeah yeah and to have the necessary amount of self-awareness and uh, a disposition about what what ought to happen in this space rather than what somebody wants to have happen mm -hmm. they, they may align right we've got to be open enough to think that yeah. sister so-and-so may actually have deep wisdom that we needed to hear um, yeah because often sister so-and-so is wise and good and right but that is kind of the mix. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the mix. Yeah. In some so that's, ways. That's one thing, right? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Go ahead. And, and, and playing off of that, I think what's happened, uh, particularly in the last four or five years, uh, is sort of that people's opinions uh, about a lot of things have become increasingly polarized. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and and I this is I'm, 
I'm going to make what sounds like a political statement, but I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to describe something, right? Yeah. I'm trying to describe. But as our politics have polarized in American context, so have uh, convictions and opinions about just about everything. Yeah. Um, I, I joke that I feel the stress of even going to the grocery store. And when they say paper or plastic, I'm like, oh, what's the right choice here, right? Because I've got to make a decision, right? What side yeah. of the political aisle am I going to land yeah. on today because of my choice for paper or plastic? That's right. And that sort of is bleeding into our churches mm -hmm. and any context. And uh, so... You know, just to be very blunt, conversations about masking or not masking and the demands of that or how do we navigate that often created a great deal of tension and stress in leadership teams and churches. And often ministers were right in the middle of all of that. And uh, I think uh, that, that that kind of polarization of, about convictions and not being able to find middle spaces to inhabit uh, becomes a pretty hard place for ministers to function well in. Uh, a, a good minister is looking for the right thing, the good mm -hmm. thing, the holy thing. Yeah. Uh, right. That's that's our calling. What 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 is what is God inviting us to see or do? But if if there's not space in a church environment for those kinds of conversations to be had where we're willing to say, I may be wrong about this, mm -hmm. here's what I think, and, or you may be right about this and have some give and take, it becomes pretty hard to operate. And I think a lot of ministers over the last two years have simply said, you know, I'm tired of living in that highly polarized atmosphere and I'm, I'm ready to, I'll go do something else. Yeah. I, I can't be sane in that kind of environment. Uh, so that's, that's, I mean, there's other factors, but that's yet another one of those yeah. factors, Kevin, I think that's been playing itself out. Yeah. I, I like just the, the comment on the inability to even have the conversation. Yeah. Because I've seen that play out where, you know, once the lines are drawn, right. You know, you use the example of masks, you know, and again, not to say one way or the other where we land on that, uh, but to say, you know, just to describe the fact that somehow it did become a political thing. Um, but to even just have the com conversation, to be willing to have the conversation seemed as if one was caving or giving in or or weak or ineffectual or something along those lines. And my goodness, you know, within a church setting, that that should be the ideal place to right. have a conversation because we have the same ultimate goal, which is, you know, increased Christ likeness for everyone here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I I definitely saw um, friends and other uh, other minister friends really struggling with that because they they just wanted to be able to talk and and nuance and and show that you know, maybe there are tough decisions that each of us can make and for the benefit of the other but we're often un unable to do so so in a heightened sort of ang anxious environment we tend to then draw conclusions rather than ask questions so mm -hmm. i could just like kevin 
there you are flying the Tennessee state flag in the corner of your screen, right? It's like, I know, I know about that. I'm just making a bunch of assumptions about you because of that, right? We, we can quickly, we can quickly do that when in our, when we're anxious, we're more apt to do that rather than take a deep breath and with uh, curiosity and with grace, uh, actually genuinely seek out what, what does the other think and what what do you see and how how do we discern together what is good or what is right or what is holy to try to echo a little paul and little philippian paul here right that we might think on those things yeah Uh, those that often has gone out the window and i think churches are trying to recover that at this stage but a lot of damage has been done. And I think some of the damage has been uh, the collateral damage that's incurred, that ministers have incurred in living in that kind of battle zone. Yeah. Oh, I like how you described it as a battle zone. That is definitely right. And and the unfortunate thing is within a context of ministry, it's all friendly fire. I, ideally. Right. Yeah. It would be all. It would be friendly fire, because ideally everyone there ought to be on the same team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, kind of grisly, but that is the reality. And so, with those factors, um, this you know already the polarization that was already creeping in. Um, I, I I don't know when. I I don't even know if it's worth you know getting into when did that sort of thing start to happen. Um, I remember. Uh, oh goodness, I was in I was in seventh or eighth grade in around 2000, um, and those were that was a contentious uh, presidential election. Um, there was lots of issues with the morality of um, you know the previous president, and then the contentious election in 2000, and then another you know contentious election. It just seems like one contentious election after another. Uh, every you know four or eight years for you know since the early 90s maybe um and I, I was a kid then has uh, led to an increase in like you said this polarization and then adding to that the um <clears throat> uh, the stressors of the pandemic and how everybody suddenly became an expert on all the things related to uh to what happened there so many ministers then decided for one reason or another or or for a variety of reasons i'm i can do this somewhere else or right. i'm tired of this or you know for my sanity things like that is that a is that a pretty fair representation of of what y'all have seen at cyber yeah yes uh, in some ways you're you're no- noting political uh, the, the national elections, right? Presidential mm-hmm. elections. Uh, I think those become uh, in, key, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Windows into something that's deeper and broader that's happening within okay. our culture, right? Of this increased polarization uh, coupled with the rise of social media and the way in which we can with greater abandon just say what whatever ugly thing we're thinking, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever s- stark, unfiltered thing we are thinking, mm-hmm. uh, 
it's fascinating to me that two people who may have different views can sit down and have dinner together and find ways of navigating that, but then go home and on Facebook, go full out into very different, you know, much more yeah. polarized places. Uh, and so our practices are pushing us outward rather than having dinner together right. <laughs> and actually yeah. listening to the other and saying, you know, that's a, I hadn't thought of that, That that's, I, I need to be reminded of that so that we practice civil discourse. Uh, so, but that's, that's a, that's been a, a, a long trend and we'd have to get into sociology sure. and things to kind of unpack all that, but that mm-hmm. was playing into this, I think a great deal. I, uh, with regard to, to the decline in the number of ministers, I, there's sort of a related thing there that I think is in play. And that is particularly in churches of Christ. Um, we've not known quite what to do. I'm, I'm introducing some new stuff here, Kevin. That's, that's fine. Good. Yeah. Uh, particularly in churches of Christ, we've never really known what to do with the relationship between elders and the ministers or the ministry staff. Um, and this goes back actually to Alexander Campbell and the stone, our, our heritage stone Campbell tradition that Campbell understood that there were three offices in the church. There were elders, there were deacons, and there were evangelists. Mm-hmm. There was no place for the local minister in his economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for good reasons. He'd seen enough abuse of clergy to last a lifetime. And he was trying to, he swung the pendulum the other way, which in my opinion, is not any healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so there were elders who had all authority. There were deacons who took care of the physical matters of the church. And the evangelist was someone commissioned to go plant new churches. Fascinating. Not, not to do evangelism inside the current. The Within city. the context of a landed local congregation. Right. To go plant new churches. Wow. Well, that worked well in about three churches for about six years, but I'm overstating this slightly. But what happened was the home church, the sending church, realized they needed the preaching gifts and the organizational gifts of the evangelist back at home. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the evangelist came back into the system, but the system never accommodated and asked or, or probed, well, then what role does the preaching minister, evangelist, play within the governance and structure of this church? It still all landed with the elders. Now, that was a more history lesson than you asked for. Oh, no. I, it's very relevant, though. I mean, you're talking you to see, a guy who majored in history in, high, in college. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's yeah. perfectly fine. So it, um, And so even in my childhood and even today— uh, in some churches, the local minister is called the evangelist that ties itself back to that history, but mm. which most people may not even be aware of. Uh, but the the downside that occurred in that was not clearly demarking what role does the evangelist slash preacher play in the governance structure of the, the congregation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so churches have had to navigate that ever since. And oftentimes, I get back to my point, uh, and then I'll hush up. Uh, I've taken way too long with this, uh, Kevin, but that um, that all too often, 
because there's ambiguity about the role between the elder and the ministers or the elders and the minister, uh, then we have to navigate that. And there's, it often gets to be a tense thing. We go out and we want to find an experienced, trained, educated minister, but then it's often hard uh, to figure out what, how do we listen to that educated minister? And, uh, and so we have a lot of conflict and tension there that exacerbates um, the longevity of ministers in our churches yeah. in a lot of different ways, but I'll hush up. That, but that's another factor that's playing itself. No, I, I think that's uh, I think that's a, a good thing to mention. I have had a friend. Um, I've got a friend, Dr. Garrett Best, who's now the chair of the, Biblical Studies Department at York University. Congratulations, York University. Yeah, I got um, to meet Garrett at uh, Christian Scholars Conference a couple of months ago. Good, yeah. yeah. He he has uh, said for the last several years now that you know, that is one book that he would like to write, is hashing out what exactly is the relationship and the role and the distinctions of duties and authority between a group of elders and, and preaching minister as well. I think that's something that we are lacking some some real clarity on. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, yeah, because historically, if you go deeper than just our 200 years of history, there's something about the preaching office, the teaching office that's tied to the word of God itself. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the Bible is authoritative, then how do we listen to it? Authority, it's authority. Mm-hmm. That begins to say something about those who teach the word or preach the word. Yeah. And in relationship to those who, in the old Presbyterian system, there were the ruling elders and the teaching elders. And there was a right. <laughs> so there was a way of understanding the leadership that comes from within the church and the leadership that comes from without of the church, the pastor, preacher, and how they shared that leadership together for the sake of the health of the church mm-hmm. that we've probably got some places where we could do some growing in that area right yeah and so yeah well all that actually ties directly into the next question that i wanted to ask you okay at one point in your blog you mentioned receiving this question why aren't christian colleges turning out more ministers mm-hmm. And in the blog, you raised the opposite issue, which is what I wanted to ask. Why do you think churches are sending less and less of their students to enter congregational ministry? Right. Yeah, I think it's an important distinction to be made. Uh, um, Schools can only train the people who come. And... Mm -hmm. um, and our undergraduate programs here at ACU, uh, we still have several dozen come in. We'll have several dozen come in this, this uh, in what, two weeks, right? We're almost into late August here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not what we used to see. We used to see dozens and dozens coming yeah. in. Um, uh, why is that? I, I think in part it, it, it is that... Um, the role of the minister in American culture and life has diminished over the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, that the the respect or honor that being a minister had in congregations has diminished, uh, and um, 
the salary that a minister makes is not uh, anywhere near what someone in other fields with similar kinds of education would often make, uh, with the exception of maybe being in public school teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and when public school teachers are making more, perhaps, than ministers, then we really, we you know, we're really, uh, you know, we, we're not paying teachers enough either, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think parents and grandparents, oftentimes, uh, when you think about the cost of going to college or to university, it's like, oh, go be an engineer, go be a doctor, uh, be a nurse. That's that's a good profession. Yeah, right? um, a lot of demand for that. Uh, let's let's go into business, be entrepreneurial. There's a lot of other. You can you can love Jesus and be a good business person, right? Mm-hmm. And you can. And we need. I'd be the first to acknowledge and want to see gifted people go into medicine or to law or to education or to business uh, or to the sciences, right? Um, but we're not probably articulating in strong, positive ways what it means to serve the life of the church as a minister and honor that as a calling, as a way of being, a way of living in the world. And uh, one of the things I want to encourage ministers uh, of all stripes to do, elders and congregations to do, is to call uh, kids out to call young people out and say, Hey, consider this and, uh, plant that seed of possibility. Um, go to the university and learn, learn how to be a minister and, uh, probe that, try it out, do an internship, explore and, and let our young men and often women are finding their ways into all kinds of mission work and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Encourage them to think about giving their life or taking up the calling or vocation of the practice of ministry in some way. Um, that's where it really starts, I think, not not in the university, but actually in homes and in churches. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that's incredibly valuable. I asked. Um, the two other guys that I know who came from my home congregation, um, who are currently in congregational ministry settings. Mm-hmm. And you know, I asked this question maybe a couple months ago, said, Hey, you know, prior to you expressing interest in doing congregational ministry, did anyone from church say to you, Hey, I think you have these gifts or, Hey, I would like to see you think seriously about this or something along those lines. And the responses were both similar. I think they both said, you know, once I had expressed interest, I had encouragement in that direction, Mm -hmm. but neither of them remembered any specific instance prior to their initiative where somebody said, hey, so-and-so, you've got a real gift for this. I think that, I think you should think very seriously about this. I know for a fact that I did not have anybody, I, I don't remember, let me put it that way. I don't remember any particular instance where somebody came up to me and said, hey, Kevin, you know, I think, I think you've got a real 
you know, a head, a real head for Bible study and, you know, a heart for, for service in this capacity. Um, my route into congregational ministry is as bizarre as I minored in New Testament Greek in undergrad because I thought it would be interesting. <laughs> and, then, and then it was professor friends who, mm-hmm. um, who were there in Circe helped kind of guide me through right. to right. Uh, the grad school there in Memphis and then on to Asbury. But I, it, it's sad because a church as healthy as the one that I grew up in, I think really could have turned out mm-hmm. some more ministers. Now, I, I might be mistaken because a young lady uh, whom I grew up with at that church is now the children's minister there. Mm-hmm. I I should ask her the same question too, mm-hmm. just just well, to see. And it's not to pick on my church, but just to simply say, in my own experience, right, with a church as healthy as mine, right. I, I still don't remember any any particular instance along those lines. Yes. Yeah. I, I anecdotally would all I would have to bring to that, but that would be similar to my experiences as I talk to to folk. Um, I'm a little older than you, so I do remember some uh, pressures uh, in my growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, it went a little different way because my dad was a minister. And the last thing I wanted to do <laughs> was to be a minister. Yeah, <laughs> I often say that I was Jonah. I got on a boat to Tarshish, baby. I, I headed to law school uh, after uh, an undergraduate program at a Christian. Mm-hmm. I was not going to be a minister um but uh after after three days in the belly of a of a whale uh i ended up on the shores of harding graduate school like not unlike you perhaps Mm -hmm. um and uh i saw the light but uh, but this idea of encouraging right encouraging uh young people to consider ministry is is a really it's a really big thing, and uh, we need to do more of it in our yeah. churches. I'm going to encourage yeah. it far and wide. Yeah, I knew, I I felt the problem personally when I started thinking about you know, when I started reflecting on my time in congregational ministry, beginning with the church that I worked in in Kentucky when I was working on my doctorate, and I, as I reflected on those experiences. I remember thinking, okay, I, I finally understand why people are often hesitant to encourage their own children mm-hmm. to find congregational programs. And it, by no means is that to uh, to pick on any church that I've been associated with, uh, all of which have had their their strengths and and their their beauties and their and their marvelous. Uh, members and all of which have had their weaknesses in their ugly spots as well. Um, but I remember thinking, man, what I want to, what I want to encourage one of my boys to, mm-hmm. to step into this, I, I don't know that it'd be my first, right, first thing, yeah, to say, right, and that that speaks again about the kind of culture that we inculcate in our congregations mm-hmm. um are we fostering the kind of cu- culture that uh one would want to uh live into and participate in or um 
help foster oneself as a as a ministerial leader. And uh, there's sort of a big a big circle here that we're talking about yeah. with regard to how do we treat one another? How do we speak mm. to one another? What is the culture that we are inculcating within our congregations? Yeah. And um, um, so, yeah, it, it all relates, I think. Uh, yeah. I'm going to ask a, a more blunt question okay. uh, regarding the shortage. And is it primary? Are, are there, you know, within the spectrum of Churches of Christ, right? I think it's fair that, you know, for every Every congregation that has the name Church of Christ on the door, or at least has that in their DNA, as a spectrum, right? It just so happens that the spectrum can be represented by certain colleges and universities that align you know, kind of with spots along that spectrum. Is there is the shortage affecting churches across the spectrum, or is there one area? along that line that's being more affected than the others and you know it help us kind of see is this sort of a universal problem within churches of christ or is it a particular problem within a certain subset of our group right you know it's hard to know fully um our work in the cyber institute uh is is rather broad but it's not broad enough to take in all of what we would what is a part of churches of christ sure. right um th th that breadth is just too wide so we're working with churches that i would say are i don't know what language to use for this right of center yeah uh whatever you know we whatever that whatever that is <laughs> and I, I mentioned too in the questions i sent you is like i know these terms are painfully relative but you know they help yeah. us kind of tack we, some groups down they may be somewhat useful to us at yeah. time, right they're inadequate but useful um so we, we work with churches that are right of center. We work with churches that are more centrist. We work with churches that are to the left and even to the far left. So there's, there's a fairly broad array of congregations that we uh, engage in and we hear from. And we try to, and our job is not to try to make churches more progressive or less progressive than they are. Yeah. Um, uh, and so what we, we kind of see it broadly, uh, I think in some ways that shortage is being felt fairly broadly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, across the board. And, and I think I would cite as evidence of that, uh, not only the anecdotal stuff of churches trying to find ministers, um, we have a group here at the Cyber Institute called the Looking Team. It's a very original name uh, that meets twice a month. It meets tomorrow afternoon, actually. We'll meet, it, it'll, it'll, it'll meet. Um, uh, and uh, uh, they'll be typically at that. Then we hear, we review all the churches that have asked in the last, since we've met last, to review what they're looking for. They're looking for a preaching minister, looking for a senior minister, a children's minister, whatever. We also then review ministers who come on our radar screen. And for years, if there were 10 churches new that were being introduced, we had about eight or 10 ministers. Okay. Sort of equitable. Yeah. Right now it's like 14 to zero, 14 to zero, 14 yeah. to one, 12 to two. The, the ask and the numbers of persons 
uh, asking for help are not in any kind of balance. And uh, and again, I think we're seeing enough from a breadth of churches of Christ to to not say, well, it's just the centrist centrist churches or the progressive right. churches or the conservative churches in that. The other factor I would cite in that is that is that well, this is sort of ironic, what I'm about to say, is that we're also losing churches, right? Churches of Christ are closing. Mm -hmm. We're losing anywhere from nine or 10 churches a month that are closing their doors. And we're still losing uh, ministers. And I think similar things are happening in a number of other church traditions as well, as I look mm -hmm. out across the broader Christian world in North America. So, um, we're, we're losing ministers at a little greater rate than we're actually losing churches, which is even in some ways, even more sobering mm -hmm. uh, with regard to the future of the health of our congregations, which may be yet another podcast, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> be happy to have that conversation. <laughs> well, happy. Uh, it would be right. a worthwhile conversation. Be a valuable conversation. Yeah. Have, meaningful one. Yeah. I find it interesting that in conversations that I have had or at least witnessed um, in the past on you know church growth and uh, you know dynamics and uh, vitality and things along those lines, often proponents of and again I'll, I'll use these examples not to be contentious but just as specific examples of the kinds of things that I've seen. Um, I'll. I'll see some proponents of um, much more greatly expanding, you know, for example, you know, women's participation in public assemblies. And uh, they'll point to, it's like, well, you know, these kinds of churches who don't do that are, you know, they're dwindling, they're, you know, they're dying, they're closing, closing down. And I'll see other folks say, you know, but other, other not you know, denominations who have uh, for decades now, had n no distinction in roles for men and women um, in in the public you know, public assemblies are also declining as well. Um, and what you have seen in churches of Christ, which churches of Christ do span that uh, that range there, as you're being more uh, you, know, uh, you know greater distinction with what. Uh, what men and women do and no distinction with what men and women do um you're you're seeing that it is difficult to find ministers for those congregations across that range is, is that right i think so uh the, what so what it's not just one issue then or right it's, it, much it, more... it's hard to narrow down to say well you're this kind of church and so therefore that's why you're dying it's it's more complex than that is that fair Yes, that, that's very, I think, very true. I can point out churches that are more traditional or conservative or right of center, sure, whatever yeah. language we want to utilize, that are thriving in terms of numbers and vitality and ministry and, and mission. Mm -hmm. um, that can be found. Yeah, uh, We can find churches that are more progressive, that are both are thriving. We can find churches that are progressive that are shrinking. Mm -hmm. We can find it, it's sort of, there's more factors in play in all of that than any, any one of those, those things. So 
uh, and the search for a minister then sort of transcends some of that to, I think, some of these other kinds of factors that we've been uh, pointing out. It's not, it's not rooted in a particular theological vision uh, as much as it is um, some of the cultural, sociological factors that we've uh, identified, uh, it, it seems to me. It yeah. seems to I, I think that would be, again, another interesting conversation for another time to to dig into maybe why is it that it's not as much related to theology as it seems to be some of these other factors if you have a point or two off the top of your head that you that that, that you can uh, mention here uh, briefly i'd be happy to hear what you what you think well uh, i don't know that i've got anything that i would name I, other than to kind of repeat what I just yeah. said, that I think mm -hmm. it, it transcends some of that. What makes for good ministers and long, long-term ministry service are healthy churches. And mm -hmm. churches can be healthy and have a wide stance of theological frames that uh, can be in play. Yeah, They're gender inclusive or they hold to a more traditional view mm -hmm. uh, doesn't preclude healthy robust systems of leadership and governance respect for the minister and the minister's role et cetera et cetera et cetera some of the yeah. take some of the things we've talked about and name them in positive ways what what matters for longevity are clear understandings of the role of the minister and the elders right mm -hmm. of of honoring the work of the minister of having a minister who has integrity and energy and balance in their life so that they don't burn out. Yeah. Uh, right. Which yeah. is something else that we haven't talked about. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a whole array of factors there in terms of what I would say is longevity in ministry or the cult and a culture that a church has to receive a minister and treat that person well over time. Um, it's been it's fascinating to me in working with churches. There are some churches that seem to have the knack of treating ministers well. They tend to draw good ministers and they tend to keep them for long periods of time mm -hmm. and don't have to find themselves back out on the market so frequently. Yeah. There are other churches, and I'm not going to name names. Uh, right. <laughs> of course. Uh, but I'm, there's one or two in my mind right now, just in recent weeks, that are not healthy. They've mm -hmm. chewed up ministers in the past. They're chewing up ministers in the present. And uh, they're going to have a hard time landing a capable minister just because of the culture that's present within the leadership system and in, within the congregation that would welcome someone, someone who had the savvy and smarts to go into that environment probably is going to see this is not a healthy place for me to be. Yeah. And, uh, and so that church is going to end up repeating itself <laughs> and exacerbating the turnover uh, in ministry. Uh, once again, I have a, um, and, and as you know, our church is currently looking for a preaching minister yes. and Cybert has been helping us with that. 
And uh, our committee has been uh, doing its diligence to find potential candidates to reach out to folks. Right. And um, man, this has been a humbling experience too. I honestly thought, I'm going to be very honest with you, Carson. (laughs) I honestly thought that it shouldn't be too difficult for us to find a minister, (laughs) a preaching minister, because who wouldn't want to come work with me? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm joking a little bit, but I, I did think that, you know, I've got I've got four or five guys that I know that that I'm good buddies with from Harding Harding School of Theology. I'm I'm gonna reach out to them, man. I bet one of those guys would be it. (laughs) And the Lord has showed me that I am not not as hot a stuff as I thought I was. (laughs) Well, and and the church you're at is a good church. It's Mm -hmm. a good church. It's got a stable leadership. It's got a good staff. Including yourself, right? I, pre- I wasn't fishing there, but I appreciate. No, but, um, uh, but, but, uh, so that's sort of you're you're living in this space, right? Of mm-hmm. uh, your church is neither. I wouldn't say it's real right wing. It's not real progressive. It's in a it's a, but it has a healthy sense of ministry and mission, yeah. a commitment to the city that you're in. Uh, there are a lot of good things to commend about your congregation. Yeah. Um, and it's had a good history for the most part, back going back years of how they treat ministers and staff. And um, so it has a lot of positive things going for it. And yet it's often hard to find that person to yeah. create this, this, this match that we're looking for when we're looking for a candidate. I often tell churches that there are three this is not original of me. This is old Charlie Seibert stuff, but the three C's you're looking for competence, somebody who's got the skill sets to do the work that is being asked of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're looking for character, which has to be a, it, I would call it spiritual depth and maturity, but that doesn't start with a C. Um, but you want somebody who's got spiritual depth. Yeah, and can handle the stresses and strains that we've described briefly here today, and then you want something that we call congregational fit, and and that's the other factor in this. Um, just re- you know, some people are not going to want to live in uh, West Texas, for example. Yeah. Where I live right, or they're not all together hip on moving to Washington State mm-hmm. or or to Montgomery, Alabama, or to wherever. Yeah. And, uh, but finding that cultural geographic fit becomes a factor in this as well. And so, but those three things are what we're looking for, I think, in a healthy match. And uh, that's not always easy to find. Yeah. I reached out to a potential candidate last week and said, hey, one of our committee members found you. I appreciated your work on these kinds of things mm-hmm. um you know would you be willing to talk and he he uh appreciated the uh the invitation mm-hmm. and then said quote i hope i retire at this church meaning that oh, he mm-hmm. he's wanting to stay where he is and you know for for any elders out there who might be uh, maybe listening to this um man it's a positive thing to hear your minister say, I love this place so much that I'm willing to retire here. And and this guy is, I, I believe, in his maybe mid-40s. Mm-hmm. So ideally has 20 plus years of 
right. you know, of, of good work or of, of vitality left in him. So, Carson, as we kind of wind down here, let me, uh, let me ask you had, um, you'd mentioned a few signs of hope. We mm. talked about some of the negative things, some of the cultural things that are kind of, right. uh, you know, working their way into uh, churches leading to a variety of stressors and so on. But uh, you mentioned a few signs of hope, various indicators of health in congregations. Uh, what are some of these signs of health that uh, that might give us some reason to hope that all is not lost? Right. Well, I, I don't uh, I, um, I should have read more thoroughly, reread more thoroughly my piece. Uh, but some things that come to mind here. Um, I see more and more churches taking seriously um, asking what is the relationship of the elders and the minister mm -hmm. and recognizing that every church is going to find its own path in that, but attending to it, naming it, working on it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I see that uh, I was on a conference called earlier this morning with a church. And that's one of the itemized things that we are going to work on is I engage in some consultative work with them this fall. Um, that's pretty common now. It's like we recognize that's got to be healthy or yeah. the whole system is uh, in jeopardy. So I think that's a positive sign. Now, we st still need to work it out, like your mm -hmm. friend was talking about, uh, uh, about, you know, I don't know if we can come up with a definitive way of doing that, but we need to talk about it. We need to come to mutually agreeable understandings about that. That's a healthy thing. Uh, I think more and more churches are doing internships and residencies mm -hmm. where students um, are being, uh, youth interns has been going on for 30 years or more. Uh, and that's a great, a great thing. But what I, and may that continue. Uh, but we're seeing more and more churches saying, well, uh, well, it's nice to have youth interns, but let's bring in a ministry intern and let them shadow you, Kevin, in your work uh, in terms of adult education, small group ministries, or preaching. And uh, we're working with a few churches that are looking at one-year internships or residencies where their person's who are student ministers are having an opportunity to spend a year in a church with good mentoring from wise staff, staff ministers, uh, preachers, and others. Um, that creates healthy places for students, young adults, to get the experience that is needed for them to thrive and do well, and demonstrates the church's commitment to the work that we do in a place like ACU and the Graduate School of Theology uh, of attending to the preparation of people in ministry. You don't learn about ministry in the seminary or the graduate school. You learn about it through the practice of it. Yeah. And uh, places like here, the Graduate School of Theology, we're reimagining our work more, more fully with churches. And we're finding churches that are interested in this kind of work. That's encouraging to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are a couple things that I would note that I think are are good. Uh, I think more and more, I've had probably six calls this summer from persons saying, we're wanting to give our minister a sabbatical or a minister calling saying, our, our church, my church is saying, hey, what is this sabbatical thing? Uh, that's showing interest in 
investing in the well-being of the minister over the long haul so that they will stay there until they retire. Yeah. Uh, right. So, um, so those are some signs of health that I, I see. Yeah. I like the, um, each of these, I was writing these down, uh, a willingness to, to critically assess critically in the best sense, right. In the best sense yeah. of the word, willingness to critically assess their own leadership structures, which that in itself is an indication of some humility, I would think, from the leadership that they, you know, that they would not simply assume, well, because we've always done it this way, therefore it is the way to do it, the right way to do it. Um, you know, interest in, uh, you know, partnership opportunities through internships and uh, residencies, um, a very, very useful thing. I'm glad that my home congregation has has done something along those lines, and I believe it was a pathway. It, I I could be mistaken, and so you know, mom, if you're listening to this, you know, this, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was a pathway for the creation of a new full time position for a for a young man who is now there at that church in kind of an associate role, um, and so you know, good. very good, very good for him and his uh, and his wife, and then the. Uh, you mentioned specifically minister sabbaticals. Um, more broadly, I think we could even take that as um, you know, sort of re-envisioning re-envisioning the the role of the minister, or, or maybe re-envisioning how the minister engages within the life of the congregation. Um, when our uh, when our preaching minister left. Um, Back in uh, December of uh, 2021, we, you know, I anticipated that my duties were going to change uh, because I, I was the last full-time minister on staff. Our youth minister had left the month before that. That sounds like a lot of red flags. I promise it's not. Both moved out of state to, uh, you know, to be closer to family members, uh, to take minister jobs out, out elsewhere and to be closer to family members. But I, I was looking around thinking, okay, you know, Inevitably, I will need to you know, cover some of the slack. And one thing that I was able to negotiate with the elders was allow me to preach, uh, you know, two or three months worth out of the year at different times throughout the year and, and just build that into the expectation for my position here so that when we do land a new full time preaching minister. They will not be on the hook for 50 sermons a year, but it will be expected that they will only need to have, you know, maybe 35 to you know 40 some odd sermons a year. That way they can actually be part of the life. They can enjoy the life of the congregation. They can really be a member here, not a hired gun. Mm -hmm. And the elders, uh, thankfully, were amenable to that. And I think that, you know, uh, Prospective minister, if you're out there listening to this and you think that we might be a worthwhile place, you know, that is something that we have built into this. Sabbaticals yeah. fit very nicely into that kind of uh, reimagining uh, right. of how the minister relates to the life of the congregation. Right. That's so, good. That's yeah. good. Yep. Those are all good things. All good things. Carson, as we wrap up here. Um, let me ask, are there any any last big home run takeaways? Any any things that we can be doing um, help us kind of uh, bring a you know put a pin in all of this as we close up with our time today. 
Well, one of the things I say to churches is that if you've got a good minister, be nice to them. <laughs> you can say that again, brother. <laughs> be nice to them. It's uh, um, uh, so and uh, uh, to ministers who are struggling and wrestling, uh, I, I want to say, um, uh, I would say, uh, ask the question, are you before you leave a church, you know, are you running away from something or are you moving towards something? And mm -hmm. uh, um, it, ministry is a very difficult, difficult calling. Um, I sometimes want to quote I, little Isaiah 6, after, you know, the burning coals, here am I, send me. <laughs> you get that part, like, okay, I'm ready to be the hero, but we forget that just a few verses later, Isaiah asks, well, how long do I do this? And the word is, well, till the cows come home until you know what freezes over. <laughs> and uh, that, in other words, people are not going to always, it's not always going to be easy. <laughs> um, and I think uh, I just would want to say to ministers uh, to be of, uh, to, to live in that difficult space requires a great deal of faith and courage. And I want to acknowledge that and honor it um and uh, and i guess i want to say too don't don't do it alone i'm rambling now i don't do it alone yeah um, find someone to talk to call us at the cyber institute uh, call a friend call a buddy and uh, and talk um don't don't sit in a dark place by yourself yeah so, I agree. and if you're a church looking for a minister practice non-anxious presence and take your time. Uh, you want to make a good choice wisely uh, so that you don't have to make a, another bad, another hard choice and uh, uh, with, with make, after making a poor choice. So I, I'm rambling. I'm done. That's all right. Delight. That's all right. It's a delight to be with you today. Yes, really. sir. Carson, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Folks can find your work through the Mosaic blog, the Cyber Institute, and they can generally contact you through the Cyber Institute, uh, part of uh, Abilene Christian University's Graduate School of Theology. Carson, thank you, sir. It was a pleasure. It's a, a delight. Best wishes to you. Thank you. Thank you.